You're listening to Talking Threat Intelligence, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the new challenges of today's threat landscape. Each episode, we connect with some of the world's leading practitioners to share stories from the front lines of corporate security. And now, on to the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Talking Threat Intelligence, sponsored by LifeRap. And joining me on the show today is Eduardo Capoya, Chief Innovation Officer, and Matt Hogan, Senior Vice President of Engineering here at LifeRap. And today we're doing a deep dive into how AI will reshape the world of threat intelligence and corporate security. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, thanks Rob. Thanks, Rob. Matt, I, I think I want to start with you. So we were having a little bit of an interesting chat the last time we were doing a pre-recording session for this interview and about some of the interesting challenges that a lot of companies are dealing with now with the rollout of things like ChatGPT and a lot of the other generative AI. So I, I kind of just want to start with like, you know, kind of the bird's eye view. What are some of the most pressing challenges that, that companies are dealing with, especially from like a privacy standpoint and threat intelligence and, and corporate security? There, there's a number of things there. I, I would say the the most critical are privacy, security, ethics. And privacy and security go together. We have to know what data we're training the models on. We need to know that we have permission to, to use that data to train the models and that we're not divulging personal information that, that shouldn't really be out there. From a security perspective, I don't know that a lot of folks know this, but the, the free version of ChatGPT, anything you put into it, any code snippets, any questions that you ask it, all gets used in the training of the next version of ChatGPT. So Samsung hit an, hit an issue not long ago where their engineers were putting trade secrets into ChatGPT and asking questions to optimize it. Those trade secrets, secrets got rolled into the next version of the model and then essentially become public knowledge as their competitors ask questions, they're going to get Samsung's answers back out. Uh, the the last piece really is around ethics, and and I think your concerns there are the explainability of the model. You know, if you have a model making critical decisions, either um, in the field of of medicine or in the field of security, you need to know who's responsible and who's accountable for which decision. Which decisions are getting made by the AI, and and are the can you reason through those decisions and agree with them? Having human review and the concept of know your data, it's it's incredibly easy to to load data sets that have biases either along race, gender, or a host of other dimensions, and you, you kind of really need to know how you're training your models and and whether or not those models are going to be making predictions based on biases, perhaps on skin color. Interesting. I, I was kind of interested where you were going with that answer there because I think a lot of the conversations that I've seen about that the threats from AI have been, you know, misinformation or how hackers are going to be able to use this technology or something like that to attack your organization. But you're, you know, kind of what you were hinting at with the answer is a lot of the risks that are coming with this kind of come from within with either like people putting things into the model, asking things or, or putting in data that they shouldn't be, or, or like you said, using this to make 
biased decisions because they don't understand how these models are, are put together in the first place. That that's right. You you do raise a really interesting point. The the notion of deep fakes. You know, you could have you know Elon Musk out saying something that that he never said, or or Barack Obama, or whoever the case may be. It's getting harder and harder to discern who's real and who's not. Hmm. And and the last piece, and and this is something that that folks don't always think about. You know, using ChatGPT in terms of hacking and, and putting out misinformation, there's nothing today currently stopping people using the free version of ChatGPT from inputting wrong data that can bias future potential versions of ChatGPT. And then you end up with cases of models getting trained on AI-generated content, which will ultimately scramble them over time. So it's something that, you know, we in the field really need to think about. Gotcha. And that's another good point that you raised about about the deepfakes and how convincing they're becoming. I saw, I don't I don't know if you guys saw this one. I saw one of Elon Musk the other day, hand in hand with the CEO of General Motors on a on a date or whatever. And I was just like, <laughs> like for like three seconds, I kind of believed it. And I was like, wait, that does not make any sense. But if or or I saw another good one and it was like and it was very convincing and it showed the game controller of the the, the ocean gate titanic disaster a couple of months ago or and and it for like five seconds if you didn't think about it critically like how would they get that image you know it, it was very very believable about what this technology is capable of now i completely agree eduardo i'll, I'll go over to you so uh, we've, we've already mentioned chat gpt and i think that's the one that most people are are very familiar with but you, you've talked about a lot of the different kind of ai models and algorithms that are that are commonly being used that that we should be looking out for like what what can you can you give a quick overview of the kind of landscape for ai right now and and what's what's on the horizon with that sure so the interesting thing about chat gpt is it's it's made you know your grandmother aware of ai <laughs> which you know was was not something that a year ago you know you would even think of of mentioning to someone who's not in the tech space ai has been around for many many years and a lot of what has the work that has been done in, in, in the space in natural language processing and you know anomaly detection and stuff like that is super valuable in in, in our domain and in, in the security domain. There's also very accelerated development and market uh, on competing models to chat GPT that are coming out from players like Meta, who's put out Llama 2, who's and then they've actually made that open source so anybody can use it for commercial purposes or academic purposes or, or whatever the case may be. There are a number of other players out there, open source and not, that are uh, competing with ChatGPT and, and this sort of large language model race, if you will. There's a lot of super capable models, smaller, bigger. The, the biggest challenge is having the hardware to run them. And actually, OpenAI is having trouble upgrading their current version because there's not enough chips out there <laughs> to train these models on. They consume huge amounts of hardware to, to, to run. Um, so there's a lot of pre-existing technology prior to GPT that is very useful in our space. And, and what's coming out on the generative side solves some key challenges that the industry has been trying to solve for years that, that will accelerate things further. Gotcha. Are, are there anything from like a security perspective that that you're kind of particularly paying attention to in terms of like, you know, the risks that, you know, if you're, if you were advising a chief security officer or, you know, corporate security officer in our space of like, 
what 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 these these different models represent. Is is there anything that you you would be recommending to them to be paying attention to? So, I think these large models help with contextualizing data in in a much more human way than than was ever possible before. So. Understanding where something is happening, understanding what is happening, understanding the, the threatening nature or not of, of an incident, understanding severity, like how bad is it really? These are things that were very difficult to gauge with traditional AI. You would get a classification, you would get some percentage of probability, whether something is a, a direct threat or not, whether it, it's a physical or, or cyber threat. But it was very difficult to to really get proper context until a human analyst sort of put eyes on the content. Now we have capabilities to provide much better context and help analysts sort of wade through the noise and look at the content that matters the most. So I, I think that's the key enabler of this. On the flip side, and Matt was alluding to this before, you know, the same technology that is helping us do these things is also making things a lot harder. So deep fakes are a huge challenge. You combine deep fakes with misinformation campaigns driven by bots that are then driven by these models. Uh, they're generating content that looks like it was written by a human, but it isn't. And so, you know, the, the landscape becomes a lot more challenging because the same technology that we're using to try to get ahead of it is being used against us. So that those are trends to, to really stay on top of. It's kind of like if I'm trying to use a warfare analogy, it, it, I'm just trying to imagine like, you know, like back in the day when you had castles and, and sieges and stuff, you had, you've introduced a, a really big cannon for the attackers, but you've made the walls a lot thicker too for the defenders. So on, on net, I guess like if, if, if you, if you kind of agree with that analogy for a second, if you agree with that premise, do you, do you have an idea of who's, who's kind of winning? Do we have thicker walls for the defenders or, or bigger cannons for the attackers? <laughs> Well, I, I think the, 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 the less sophisticated uh, groups are, are probably losing in, in terms of on the attacking side because there's better technology to, to prevent attacks. But the more sophisticated groups, which unfortunately are, are out there and, uh, and, and do exist and, and are very active, have a lot more tools at, at their disposal. So. I don't think there's a winner or a loser. I think this is the eternal battle for who has the higher fence. <laughs> At the end of the day, you know, companies that invest more in security and, and stay ahead of you know, the, 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 the bleeding edge of technology, or at least you know, the, you know, as close to that as, as is reasonable, will have a better chance to, to fare these attacks than, than those that, that stick with, you know, that, that, with technologies that are no longer able to to detect some of these attacks the volume of content being produced is enormous and so for human analysts to continue to review content manually it's going to become super super challenging over time so i think the more these technologies help reduce that load and really leave the analyst to the very end of the process to make a determination as to whether this is a real threat how bad is it and what do we need to do about it? That's where humans add value that AI can't. Gotcha. Well, that, that transitions really nice into the topic that I wanted to get into next. And, and with, with you, Matt, what kind of approach or, or paradigm would you advise organizations that are looking to integrate AI a lot more into 
into their AI operations or security operations, excuse me. So, so that's a, that's a really interesting question. And as a general rule, the industry is moving toward this notion of extended intelligence or, or enhanced cognition. So AI is good at certain things, but inherently not good at others. There, there are things that humans can do that AI can't. For example, humans have highly attuned sensory skills, excellent abstraction and free association, and, and good comprehensive comprehension skills that kind of pull everything together. But we're not great at predicting. We're notoriously bad at predicting, and we don't really, real, we don't really realize how bad. Limited memory and processing, and we, we, we don't really manage complex logic. AIs, on the other hand, excel at complex logic. They can make complex predictions, and they have you know as much memory as we can throw at a problem and, and run the power grids to support. But their sensory skills are limited, but actively improving. They're not currently capable of abstraction or free association and free association. But when you start to look at LLMs and ChatGPT, I think we're starting to see that some of those walls start to come down. And then comprehension. There's a lot of context that an AI can't quite bring to bear yet. All of that brings brings in this idea of extended intelligence. You know, we don't want AI to replace individuals. It's more of bringing AI in to enhance human intelligence, allow us to do more together than we're able to do alone. Now, there's this concept of an intelligent agent. So anything that can perceive its environment, take actions autonomously to achieve, to achieve goals, to integrate not just you know acting autonomously, but integrating with with human partners to be able to to leverage the strengths of of both AI and and humans in the loop. So I really think this idea of extended intelligence and leveraging intelligence agents and doing more together. Is, is the direction that, that we need to go as a community and, you know, both to help manage costs and significantly improve outcomes. You know, to, as, as Eduardo, you know, was alluding and, and you did as well, there's a lot of grunt work involved in security analysis and, and, and looking through pages and pages of data. And as we continue to, to evolve AI systems in terms of sophistication, understanding, there's a lot of that initial upfront work that could be done. And then the the most salient things that need to get addressed will end up in front of the analysts who can who can kind of take it to the next level, bring that context and bring that deeper level of of understanding and abstract thought. Gotcha. So Matt, if I'm getting getting what you're saying right, is that this is not the 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 big replacement of all these intelligence analysts, but it's looking for the opportunities to to multiply the force multiplier to to enhance their skills. That's right. You know, with 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 the teams we have, how can we do more? Because you know, both you and Eduardo were talking about who's got the the bigger cannon or the bigger walls. You know, this the the bad guys are for sure using AI. You know, for deep fakes to to generate code to to determine possible attack vectors to look for leaked information. We can use it too to to enhance the capabilities of our security teams. What would be like what you know if say you're advising me as a as a security officer or I'm running an, an intelligence team at a big company do you have any like examples that you've seen that of a of a good example of that where OSINT analysts are using AI 
to to like you said kind of as working as a force multiplier rather than just replacing team members i'm gonna kick this over to eduardo who's 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 got some really interesting thoughts in this area for sure yeah there's all kinds of examples rob that are relevant to this i I think the the two big things we can do with, with ai to help analysts make their job easier is reduce noise so identifying content that is worthless. So because it's spam, because it's just gibberish, or because it's repeated, or we've already seen something similar before, that that's one side of the equation. There's a lot of noise out there. There's tons of noise. The other side is with what's left, how do we contextualize that? How do we provide context to the analyst to say, this contains some kind of threat, this contains some kind of risk, this uh, contains some sort of negative emotion, you know, AI where it is at a point where we can tell if somebody's angry or disappointed or, you know, a very, very fine grained degrees of emotions. So when you combine all of those signals together, you can then allow the analyst to, to say, well, only show me content when people are really angry, they're mentioning my CEO and, you know, there, there's, there's a, an apparent threat. So now you've gone from 10,000, well, you, you removed 3,000 posts that were all noise, and out of the, out of the rest, uh, you've now narrowed that down to maybe 100 or 200 that match that criteria. The time savings are just enormous, right? And, and the time to react to that threat and, and, and have a chance, a fighting chance against it are much, much higher. I would, I would also say that there's this notion of reducing time to insight. So, you know, in addition to everything Eduardo just laid out, there's a ton of content out there, even for what's left after you reduce the noise. Leveraging AI to summarize that data. So rather than looking through, you know, a 2000 word blog post where somebody is ranting and ranting and ranting, you know, get a paragraph. What is the crux of what this person is saying? And then combine that with with sentiment and, and emotion and all of those other things. Yeah, I've I've been surprised that like what, the, the OSINT community has been doing in terms of finding creative uses. So I, I saw a great one with, with ChatGPT the other day, and th- there was these uh, leaked records of all these chat logs from this Russian hacker group. And, and so this guy was able just to instantly translate it, get a decent translation. But what was really cool was just being able to take the entire log and summarizing it, you know, thousands and thousands of, of messages going back and por- forth, summarizing it into a couple of paragraphs that was instantly usable to get get the gist yeah. rather than having to go log by log. It was just what that the amount of time that would have taken a couple of years ago. I guess with Google Translate, you get a good enough translation, but to go and read through it all and make sense of it, it was just incredible of what was actually uh, possible with that. For sure, absolutely. Um, anyway, gentlemen, we're we're coming up on a, a bit of all the time I promised to take, but I wanted to leave a little bit of time for for Eduardo for you. Uh, to talk about the the big initiative that you're launching and that we've been working on here at LifeRaft at LifeRaft Labs, uh, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure, sure thing. You know, Labs is I, I would call it the the you know, crystallizing or consolidation of years of a vision to to dedicate have a dedicated team focusing on the harder problems to solve in in this industry. I, you know that there's there's all kinds of of, of problems that are 
not necessarily hard, but need to be solved. Like, how do we share content amongst each other? How do we collaborate? How, you know. But then there's these harder problems to solve. How do we reduce noise? How do we raise the, the highest threats to the top? How do we d- detect unusual events happening that, that an analyst would otherwise not see or not see fast enough? You know, how do we summarize entire data sets into a few meaningful events, right? So this is really consolidating the vision to build a team that is solely focused on trying to figure these things out and uh, talking to our customers and listening for problems, listening for what are their pain points, what are the things that keep them up at night? What are the things they think are not solvable? Those are the problems that we love to take on. And having a, a very open space for data scientists to just try stuff and play around with bleeding edge technology and just see what's possible. We're going to fail four times out of five, but that one time out of five that we don't is, is going to make a huge difference. So that, that is really what's key for us. It's, it's not about the technology. It, it's about solving problems with technology. Yes, but, but it's not technology for technology's sake. Very cool. Looking forward to see what comes out of that initiative. Anyway, gentlemen, maybe I'll throw this one over to Matt. Any main takeaway you want listeners to remember from our conversation today? I would say that, you know, the the key two takeaways for me are the the concept of extended intelligence, you know, partnering with AI to to capitalize on on the best of what humans can do and the best of what AI can do to result in better outcomes overall. The other thing that I would really raise is I'd, I'd like to go back to the security point. A lot of companies have employees using ChatGPT. A lot of people in those companies are using the free version of ChatGPT, and there are a lot of secrets getting leaked every day. And people should absolutely leverage ChatGPT. You could do more at work. You could write code faster than you could without it. But you've got to be using you know, an enterprise or some form of paid version because OpenAI will not use the data from one of the paid licenses to, to train future models. And they've got data retention policies around those types of accounts that they don't on the free versions. And, and I, it's something I really want people to keep in mind. Just to, to add to Matt's point, I, I think that the message is rather than try to fight the use of, of AI, take control of the narrative and ensure that, that your security departments deploy something that the company can use safely and have guidelines, have education, you know, train your staff on what's safe to do and what isn't. I, I think we're we're better off to embrace than, than to try to fend it off. It's not going to last long. People are going to use it anyway, so might as well do it the right way. Yep. All right. And Eduardo, how can listeners get in touch if they want to learn more about what you're working on? So we have just launched our LifeRef Labs website, which is liferflabs.com, and uh, otherwise get in touch with uh, any of our CSMs or get in touch with our uh, email or contact form on our website, and we'll be happy to uh, to connect and, and chat more. All right. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Thank Rob. you. It's been a pleasure. And that's a wrap on this week's show. Thanks for listening to another episode of Talking Threat Intelligence, sponsored by LifeRef. Never miss an episode by subscribing on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you listen to these episodes. And if you'd like more insights on building a successful threat intelligence program, be sure to check out our website at liferafinc.com slash blog. That's liferafinc.com slash blog. And I hope you tune in next time.